it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. Sometimes we make decisions with our kids on how we think our kids are going to feel in the first 10 minutes versus thinking about 10 months or 10 years. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience that person. Yeah. Here are your hosts. David and Danita Bailey. Well, good evening and welcome to School Days Help for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. So today our guest is an expert in counseling parents and teens in, coll- in the college admissions process. It's been almost 30 years since David and I have applied to college. That's scary, huh? It is scary. <laughs> oh, we're getting. Yeah, we are getting old. We'll hold your getting. <laughs> And our kids are under 13. So the research I did in this episode was quite an eye opener for me. You've been closer to this since your company um, tutors kids academically and as well you do test prep. So, you know, what what have you learned over the last what seven years that you've had Noggin, an eye opener about um, test prep? Well, you know, it's a very... You know, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry mm-hmm. that a lot of uh, parents um, uh, want their kids to get the highest scores possible in the SATs and ACTs, and it has um, moved the needle as far as you know. When I went, you know, I just you know, I read a couple of SAT books from the College Board, and yeah, that was and, more than I did. Oh, you you just took it cold, pretty pretty much. Wow. That's why I did so well. <laughs> you killed it. <laughs> killing it. Uh, but um, that there really is you no know, an art to test taking that I didn't you know realize until I really started getting into coaching. And uh, you know, I saw one girl that I coached uh, this past fall on the ACT. We helped her score move up five points, and we only had a month to work with her, and that pushed her over the edge to get into Wellesley College. Hmm. Um, and so. Um, you know, it can make the difference between getting financial aid and not getting financial aid right. or merit-based scholarships. So there's a, there's a lot at stake that sometimes, you know, families don't necessarily know about um, as their kids going through the process. Did you feel like you got a lot of help from your parents um, in the admissions process? Um, no, but I don't really know how much they could have given me um, because, you know, just because where I was applying, I was pretty one-track minded. And when I was applying to the Air Force Academy, I, I think I maybe applied to one other college. But, man, I was pretty arrogant of me to this thing. I was so confident I was going to get in. <laughs> you were like, I got this. I got this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I did get in. Uh, but it was, um, you know, I don't know if she's going to help me with my physical fitness test and um, interviewing with a, you know, a retired Air Force colonel and um, all those things. But, uh yeah, no, I, I I had no hope. It was just figured out. God bless you. We love you. Hope you get in somewhere. Right. <laughs> so what about you? Um, You know, I've always been the person that I am now, which is list making and researching. She sure and is a list maker, everybody. I Lord mean, mercy. so I don't think my parents really needed to help me because I, I'm a pro and con kind of person. Yes, and she I'm is. a deep dive kind of person mm-hmm. so i'm sure i had a whole notebook of information about all the schools and possible majors and things like that I so i love my wife oh i'm sorry what did you say yeah, well i'm i don't know that i even asked them for help you just you had it you just took it you were your own you were your own counselor <laughs> yes i was my own guidance counselor yeah yes. and you took yourself with the process and got in and the rest, the is, rest history. is history. That's why we're living in the le- lap of luxury now. <laughs> yes, babe. All right. You so can. let's talk to the real expert. <laughs> okay. Uh, so our guest today owns Shamasian Academic Counseling and will share information for parents whose kids are college bound. The college application process is extensive, and this really could be several episodes. Dr. Shamasian is going to give us an overview of what to expect and how parents can navigate this process. 
So you can go to our website, schooldaysshow.com, and click on the Show Archive tab. Scroll down to College and Career, and you'll see several episodes that will be helpful in regards to this topic. But before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or a nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag schooldaysshow or hashtag IamSchooldays. So let's go ahead and welcome our guest. Our KidCaster this week is graduating second grader Christina Bailey from Mansfield, Texas. Dr. Shamassian is the founder of Shamassian Academic Consulting and one of the world's foremost experts on medical school admissions, college admissions, and graduate school admissions. For nearly 20 years, he and his team have helped thousands of students get into medical school and top colleges using his systematic and proprietary approach. Dr. Shamassian received his BS in human development from Cornell University. Dr. Shamassian's interest in mental health led him to complete his PhD in clinical psychology at UCLA. Throughout his education and beyond, Dr. Shamassian successfully guided students into top colleges and has found his professional calling in helping others achieve their educational and career goals. Welcome to School Days, Dr. Shamassian. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. So why do parents typically contact you? Yeah, so parents typically contact me um, because they're hoping uh, to maximize their kids' admissions odds. You know, that's that's as complicated and simple as, as it is, right? So a lot of times, you know, we have high-achieving students uh, all across America who you know, they've, they know that they've done a lot well, you know, they've taken tough courses, they've achieved at a high level academically, they've done great work with standardized tests, you know, David's world. And, and now it's a question of, well, how do I further maximize? What else do I not know? How do I stand out relative to my counterparts? Because, you know, students who are applying to top 20, top 30 schools in this country, most of the applicants are just fine academically. And the question then becomes, well, among this pool of really qualified applicants, how do I look different? Right. And mainly that's done through extracurricular activity development, um, you know, developing relationships with the right rec letter writers, pursuing the right opportunities over the summer, writing great application essays, essentially delivering their background in a way that's going to be really, really compelling to, to top schools because, Top schools, you know, they can they can close their eyes and just pick names out of a hat and have a really high achieving entering class. Mm. But they want to know, okay, what leadership potential does this student have based on their history of achievement and the context in which they've achieved it? You know, how likely are they to become future leaders in America? How brag worthy are they going to be? years down the line, right? So if you had a, a high school student who's made a deep impact in their community or, you know, done amazing work within, I don't know, healthcare research or started community activism programs, et cetera, if you're doing it at that age, the question in the admissions committee's mind is, well, if they're achieving that now, what are they going to be once they have our resources, our springboard, our education, and, you know, years down the line. So it's really helping our students uh, develop the type of profile that allows them to stand out while still, you know, staying within their interests. Sure. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So in light of all of the um, scandals, scandal that happened, what, year and a half, two years ago now with college admissions and all those things, um, yeah. did, did that impact um you and your business or did it help to you know did you have to kind of wade through with parents say hey no i'm i'm legit and i'm really i'm for real uh versus you know some of the some of the shysters out there like how's that been on on your side yeah um so when it happened so it was about two years ago i want to say it was march ish 2019 or april 2019 and you know this whole scandal came out with you know the rick singer situation and how they were you know uh, falsifying, you know, 
test results and having folks take exams on behalf of students and falsifying, you know, someone's athletic prowess uh, to help them get <laughs> recruited into these top colleges and things of that nature. And, you know, around the time I, I did get, I, I want to say for a few weeks after the, you know, the news broke, I was getting, you know, a bunch of questions from parents of like, you know, there's that scandal. You're not a part of it, right? Uh, and I was like, no, no, you know. And, Why, uh, yes, I, I am, no. actually. I am a part yeah, of the yeah. scandal. <laughs> yes, yes. And here's how to report me. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was more so, you know, just answering those questions openly and honestly. And a lot of parents wanted to, they were actually really curious, like, hey, like, did you know about this kind of stuff going on? Um, were you surprised when you heard it and all this kind of stuff? And um, frankly, I wasn't surprised. Um, not not because I I actually didn't know Mr. Singer. Um, I still don't know him, or I didn't know any of this stuff going on. But in such a competitive space where you know there's such a major demand for such limited supply, it's not surprising that people would you know try to try to do things um, to gain an unfair advantage, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you know that's something that again, didn't surprise me. I didn't know about the way everybody was doing that kind of stuff or how Mr. Singer's group was doing that kind of stuff, but I really wasn't surprised by it. Yeah, because there's there's kind of a desperation for the family to continue the lifestyle and, and stay in that, you know, upper echelon and sure. um, the status, the status and the power. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. College means uh, something, you know, it's bigger than, you know, people talk about college only in the context of education. It's not just about education, right? Um, when you're trying to get into these great schools, because you can go to a lot of schools and get a good education. Right. So why are you really hankering for a top school? Because, you know, it, it means something. It means you've made it or you're staying on top, right? So if there, you know, if there's a family, um, you know, who has a lot of resources, maybe they come from a background where, you know, their parents and their grandparents went to great schools and stuff like that. If you continue getting into top schools, well, it's like, yep, we're still here. No, we're going to we're going to continue to stay at this level and, you know, and progress and all this kind of stuff. And then for folks who, you know, maybe they they didn't come from a background where they had, you know, great privilege or a lot of legacy or something like that. Um, you see, you know, I see this with my parents and other uh, other families I work with where the parents are immigrants to this country. It's like, well, you've come here you might have come here with very little you've worked your tail off you have you know developed some uh, you know some level of quality of life that you want to maintain at minimum if not use that as a jumping point for even greater things you know helping your kids get into top colleges is like we continue to do things right it reinforces and validates those efforts so you know i know my parents they immigrated here and they always wanted my brother and me to go to great schools and for them that meant you know stability and security when mm -hmm. um you know when they had fled a war-torn country right mm -hmm. and so when when my brother and i had success it was almost like them saying okay like okay we we gave them the right foundation we put them in a good place yes we can't control all the variables moving forward but we feel like we've done a good chunk of our job sure. and so you know and so when we talk about schools we talk about them in terms of rankings and you know stats and all this kind of stuff but what it brings up emotionally for us um and you know our reinforces and validates you know our skills as a parent that we've done the best for our child mm. there there's a lot that's mixed with it mm, yeah it's interesting so when should what grade should students start to seriously prepare for college i mean i think i think at the earliest you know you should start thinking about it seriously in junior high uh, especially the tail end of junior high and some people might hear that and say what? Like it's getting younger and younger. It's getting crazier and crazier. And, and I, to be clear, um, you know, in our country, we're, we're very blessed in the sense that, you know, most people who, if you want to get a post high school education, we have so many schools in this country where you can probably get a post high school education, right? Of course, there are so many layers to that. I'm generalizing here, you know, people have different socioeconomic status and opportunities and all this kind of stuff. But there are enough, you know, there are enough educational institutions where we can, you know, where we can educate a lot of people at a high level in this country. So, so we're talking right now about like a, a small sliver of those schools, right? Because most colleges in America, people don't know this because we always, oftentimes when we talk about college admissions, we're talking about Harvard, Stanford, MIT, all this kind of stuff with these 5% or lower acceptance rates. But most colleges in America actually admit most people that apply to them. Mm. And so we're talking about very selective schools here. And so if you're applying to very selective schools, 
well, you know, it, it's, uh, it's important to learn, you know, what are some of the things that I really enjoy doing uh, as far as academics, extracurricular? What are my values? Why do I care about this education? What do I want, um, you know, for the future? Because, you know, the high school years fly by. Uh, you, <laughs> you have multiple kids, right? How quickly did your kids go from one to three? Not um, very quickly. It doesn't seem like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it drug by. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so it's crazy. You know, we all say as parents, I have a little two year old and I say, boy, don't you remember back when he was, you know, fill in the blank. And so high school is the same. It flies by. So, yeah. you know, at the end of it, it's great. Well, there's that's the summer before high school. And, you know, two years from then, it's 11th grade, the final year of grades. Gosh. right? Just like this. And so when you put it in that context, it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And And so, you know, you have a lot of schoolwork during the year and tests and quizzes and projects and all that kind of stuff and you're looking to build this extracurricular profile and now you have summer which is a great opportunity to build your extracurricular profile well there are only three summers mm. you know um and you have to plan ahead for those and really maximize those opportunities so it's one of these situations where it seems like boy that's young but when you really think about how quickly from middle school you know three years from then now you're applying to these elite institutions and you have to develop a unique profile with all the stuff you have to do in high school. It's kind of wild. And, you know, I think back to my high school, I feel like I was busier in high school academically than I was in college or even in grad school, right? Because I had homework every day for every class. I had basketball practice and cross country. And by the time I got home, it was 8 p.m. And I was working till midnight, <laughs> 1 a.m. and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I didn't necessarily do that every day in college. And right. so it's it's a really, really... Um, competitive space and it seems to get more competitive each year. So when you're talking about extracurricular activities and volunteering and all of those things, creating your whole profile, um, some can think um, that more is more. <laughs> so mm. what, how do you, um, how do you counsel your, your clients and your families regarding this? Yeah, it's a it's a quality versus quantity question, Danita. Um, so, you know, back when you and David applied, uh, and, you know, I say this, I, I assume this was the case, because I know it was the case back when I applied, and I applied, uh, you know, a few years after y'all, it sounds like, um, you know, there was this, there was this whole emphasis on being well rounded, right? It's like, be well rounded, you know, join these clubs, be the president, be the leader of the yearbook, you know, um, be the captain of the school team, or whatever the case might be. And so people did that. They bought into that and they were successful for a long time, you know? And, and so then it's like, oh, I just got to be, you know, join all these clubs, win this award and all this kind of stuff. And I'm assured. And that used to work. It actually used to work. Unfortunately, uh, like with a lot of other trends, uh, sometimes when you learn about the trend, you're a little bit late to the party, right? <laughs> and so what was happening uh, at these top colleges is like, okay, over time they started seeing, oh, people are just doing similar things. They're taking the hardest classes, joining all the clubs, being president. And they're like, this is like, how do we admit? I mean, they all look the same, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, right. uh, you know, it's like looking at a bowl of peas and saying, pick the perfect pea. Like they kind of <laughs> all look the same, you know? Um, and so... <laughs> And so you just got, you know, school started wising up to this and there was a subset of students where, you know, they were developing an extracurricular profile that had a lot more focus. Okay. So when I say, when you say, well, more is better, more depth is better. Uh, whereas before more stuff was better. Right. And so people talk about, you know, okay, well, maybe there's student A who achieves at a pretty high level in a bunch of different things right? But they're sort of here everywhere on every extracurricular domain. But then there are some students who like do enough in a bunch of stuff, and then they have a clear spike or a specialty um, or it factor. People describe it different ways. And so the student who does a lot of things well, they're not really going to be known for one thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas the student who, you know, goes all in on one, maybe two areas and builds interdisciplinary work and pursues their own initiatives, it's clear what they're known as. So let's say, uh, and, and so, you know, a college admissions committee might see them and say, oh, that's the, that's the gal who, you know, um, you know, developed a, an initiative where she was selling her artwork, um, you know, for, for this, that, and the other cause, or did all this great social activism through it and whatever the case might be. And uh, versus, you know, versus the student who's like, oh, they're pretty good at science. 
pretty good at model UN. <laughs> they were part of the yearbook. Like, what do you, what are they known for? Right. And so imagine, and so people say, well, what are you looking for these kids like to specialize earlier and earlier? Isn't it about exploration and you get all this kind of stuff, but let's think about it in our daily lives. So let's say you, um, you wanted to, you know, buy the best loaf of bread in your neck of the woods in Texas, right? Um, you're not, and there are two options. Okay. There's one store that, you know, bills itself as, you know, Parisian style baguettes and they have all these pastries and all this kind of stuff. And then there's a shop next door that says, we sell motor oil, <laughs> bread, candy, and shoelaces. <laughs> and if I asked you, without knowing anything else, who are you going to go to for bread? The Parisian place. Right. The Parisian place. Yeah. And so you got to be the Parisian place. Yeah. Right? That's, that's it might good. might sound like a sim, you know, silly analogy, but I think it makes the point of, well, what are you going to be known for? And, that, and your activities have to tell that story. Right. So people ask me all the time, what's the best essay topic when it comes to college admissions? I say, you know, there is no inherently good or bad topic. Right. It's about execution. It's all a, it's also about whether there is evidence. So if you talk about like, mm. you know, I'm the you know, talk about being this incredible baker and how you want to, you know, you want to reach people through baking or whatever. I, I'm, I'm still carrying on that analogy versus, hey, you know, I really got into selling shoelaces, which then, you know, I learned this lesson, took me down the road of bread baking. And then I learned this lesson. Now you're going to see disjointed. In other words, the story is being written through your high school years. And so when you communicate through your essays, but there isn't the same evidence for it, it's going to fall a little bit on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. So people come to me sometimes, you know, late in junior year, and they say, I need your help with essays, because my kid did great academically. Now, all that matters is the essays like, well, I'm actually not seeing a clear specialty here. And that's going to come back to, to bite them. Yeah, I read somewhere. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, dear. Yeah, I'm like, we keep <gasps> both trying to get in at the same time. Um, just real quick. Guys, whenever, whenever you hear a, uh, that, that, that's me trying to get in here. My wife keeps cutting me off. So I'm just, just for the record, if you hear a double, that, that's, that's my wife. <laughs> no, I was just saying that, you know, in my research, I was reading that schools are looking for a well-rounded student body and not that's a right. well-rounded mm -hmm. kid. So they're, you know, wanting special specialists in different areas yep. instead of just they want the best French baker. Yes. The best tire salesman, <laughs> the best, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not not all of them in one place. Exactly. So what if someone, you know, through just by choice or because of circumstances, they work at McDonald's all the way through high school? How could someone who maybe doesn't have the time or, you know, just for whatever reason, their path is looks kind of plain is there a way to even in maybe what may may look like on the surface is ordinary make it make it extraordinary absolutely so the the word you use the word ordinary um in an interesting way david so context really matters okay and you know, uh, a lot of the parents, obviously, given the work that I do, you know, have, you know, resources and are well to do and all this kind of stuff. even though we offer financial aid and we offer some pro bono support and stuff like that. You know, most of the people who come to me have more means. They're sending their kids to nice public schools, nice private schools. They have more resources and more is expected of them because of those mm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if you're a student out there or a parent out there with a student who, you know, maybe you don't have the same economic means, maybe your child had to work. Um, you know, a job to support the family. Maybe they're an older sibling who had to take care of younger siblings or whatever the case might be. Didn't That matters, right? So uh, yeah. family, so colleges consider, you know, where did you grow up? What kind of school did you go to? What educational opportunities did you have? Did you have to work? Um, and so talking about that in your application is great. Nat sometimes it'll naturally fit into your college essays. Other times it won't. And so on the Common App, uh, which is sort of the central application system, there's a section called the additional information section. And so if there's something that doesn't fit elsewhere, if you're like, well, here's why I had to work at McDonald's for four years. Here's why I chose to work at McDonald's. Um, you know, all that stuff matters. But also, I also don't want it to sound like, well, there's all I could do. So here it is. So the a top student might say, okay, um, you know, I worked at this local McDonald's and I know that McDonald's uh, headquarters, I'm making this up, by the way, but I assume there's something like this. Maybe the headquarters has some initiative where they solicit philanthropic ideas from their employees. And so they say, you know what, um, in, uh, in Tuscaloosa, you know, there's this great need for, uh, you know, providing 
reading education for youngsters because it was cut through state funding. And I'd like to, you know, raise money through our local McDonald's to uh, deliver this kind of, you know, to, to pay local tutors to work with these kids. And so you start like a reading initiative because maybe your parents um, didn't have a higher education and that was very meaningful to you to, to, you know, to pay it forward kind of thing. And so at that point, you're using whatever context you're in to better your community. And that stuff, again, going back to leadership and initiative. So it's not just about like building a fancy rocket and winning a science fair. It's about <laughs> what did you do with the, with the essentially the cards you were dealt and the opportunities yeah. available to you and how do you communicate that, you know, honestly. And I think also not only are they taking into account that they don't have the same means as the as their counterparts, but also, again, they're looking for that well-rounded student body. So they do want people mm -hmm. from different walks of life so they don't have a bunch of great uh, group think. So absolutely. And that was especially challenged this cycle. So um, during the 2020 2021 cycle, uh, it was an unprecedented admission cycle, um, largely due to pandemic related factors, right, where, um, you know, a lot of tests were canceled. So most schools went test optional, meaning there were some students who might have not tested as well, you know, demonstrate their, you know, academic and extracurricular prowess in, in very different ways. Mm -hmm. um, it also challenged schools because they couldn't lean on test scores as much. So how do you evaluate a student in their own context? Mm -hmm. And so and even the students who had resources, their their summer programs were canceled. So they were like, uh, what do I do mm. now? You know, these sort oh, of wow. pay to play programs weren't available. So all of this stuff came into play. And, and, and you know, we had and then people got nervous because, you know, 10 percent of seats uh, were already filled by deferrals from the year before. So you were dealing with 90 percent of available seats at top schools higher number of record number of applications. So you had record lows at every elite school, basically. And you have a lot of parents out there who, and I, I get it, like they're, you know, their kids worked hard. They put, you know, they pedal to the metal. They worked really hard through high school, even during the pandemic. But, you know, it's hard for sometimes to stomach where I did everything right. I got the A's they wanted me to get. I got the fives on those APs. I got the 1550 on the SAT. I was supposed to get X, right? There's an mm. expectation. But as college admissions has moved toward, you know, uh, you know, celebrating, you know, increasing levels of diversity and community impact rather than, you know, um, collecting a bunch of, you know, tallies in, in certain columns and stuff like that. It, it's further shaking up the profile of student bodies. And it's uncomfortable because we're in the middle of that. We're in, we're in the midst of that inflection point. And so now that everyone is hearing how hard this past cycle was, guess how much anxiety there's going to be this fall? Because mm -hmm. they said, what? You applied to 15 schools and you got into this many? Well, I'm going to apply to 25 schools. And, oh, oh my gosh. So you know, there will be that arms race uh, of sorts. And, and uh, you know, by, by stacking the chips in our favor, applying to more places, doubling down, taking eight APs instead of six APs, whatever the case oh, may be, right? And people, I think, sometimes lean on where they're comfortable, which is more tests, more awards, more of this, more of that. It's like, okay, we'll keep ramping it up. But at some point, when everyone, you know, when there are so many top students looking similar academically, what else are you contributing locally um, that's, you know, that's going to show your leadership? All right. Um, gosh, I have about a million questions. Um Let's jump into the application process itself. You mentioned the Common App. Um, this wasn't something that was around when we were. I don't think it was. No, at it least was, I didn't. It wasn't use when that. I was applying. Okay, yeah. So, what should students consider when they're deciding which application platform to use? So, the speaking of uh, just for folks who aren't as familiar, so the Common App is the centralized application system. Essentially, you fill all your demographic information, you know, who you are, your name, where you live, what your parents do, that kind of thing. Um, and then, and, and all your grades and test scores, whatnot. And then on there, you write your Common App essay, which is what people colloquially refer to as your personal statement, it's sort of your core essay. And then you click on a bunch of school names, uh, you know, that you want to apply to. And then it generates, you know, magically the supplemental essays that you also have to submit. And so the Common App isn't the only player here. Um, you also have something called the Coalition App, which is essentially a competitor to the Common App. It doesn't matter whether you do one or the other. They're seen as equal the same way the ACT and the SAT are equal um, in college's eyes. So just choose whichever 
Um, and then you also have, you know, for students who, um, you know, might have a background uh, of coming from a lower income family or something like that. There's also opportunities to QuestBridge where, you know, if you're, uh, if you're nominated, then you're matched with a certain school. So it really depends on your specific situation. But usually the question comes down to need to common versus coalition app. And they're, you know, they're on equal footing. And did you say CrossBridge? QuestBridge. Quest, what is that? So QuestBridge is another application system, uh, you know, where students can apply. And if they, you know, if they, if they're approved by QuestBridge, then they're essentially matched to, to elite schools. Okay. Gotcha. And then there's Universal as well. Is that right? So there, there'll always be other ones popping up, but okay. the vast majority of people will be applying through common app or coalition app. And then of course, if you're part of certain education systems, like if you're in California and you're applying to the university of California, like UCLA, UC Berkeley, UC San Diego, um, then there's also the UC app. So University of California schools do not use common uh, app and coalition app. So uh-huh. that's another uh, big one. And do most of these platforms offer um, other things other than, you know, the ability to um, apply to multiple colleges, like alerting you to different deadlines and things like that? Yeah. So there will be a dashboard, essentially all the schools you're applying to, application deadlines, you'll get auto emails, um, you'll you'll be sending your recommendation letters to them. And so they they act as a nice, you know, dist- packing and distribution center, basically. Yeah, that would have been so helpful. Yeah. You, I know. Yeah. I was putting stuff in the mail. <laughs> right. Right. Stamps. <laughs> exactly. Um, I remember I saw one for a little while back for there's a Big Ten application. So for all schools within the Big Ten Conference, like Penn State, University of Michigan, University of Wisconsin, Indiana, like all those schools, like so there's even like conference applications hmm. um, as well. So I thought that was interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned essays. So hmm. I know that this could really be its own show, but give us a little bit of guidance about what admissions officers are looking for in application essays. Mm-hmm. So application essays are an opportunity. So the short of it, Danita, is what what is important to know about you that I could not learn about you through your resume? Mm -hmm. And that should really guide the way you brainstorm this because you have a lot of students who just try to regurgitate and I did this and I won this award and it's like, yeah, I could have learned that elsewhere. So you have very precious real estate on your application. You have an activities list, which is pretty small. Um, so all that stuff you did throughout high school, you barely get any space to talk about it. So you might cover, you know, one, two, three of the most meaningful stuff throughout your application materials, but a lot of it, you're not going to cover in depth. And, but you also have to weigh that against, okay, how can I write about my background, that context that I grew up in? So the kid who, you know, worked at McDonald's all four years, what was their home life like? What drove them to, you know, to work at McDonald's? What did they learn from that experience? Um, you know, what is, what did McDonald's teach them about life, you know, whatever the case might be. And so if there's anything that you can share about yourself that I couldn't learn elsewhere, that's valuable. So I grew up with Tourette syndrome. And so I remember back in college and even applying to grad school and scholarships and stuff like that. I talked about that a lot um, because, you know, a lot of people in my background don't go to college, um, let alone to good colleges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sort of the way a lot of folks in society view me and how that taught me, you know, what that led me to do or not do and the way that I think and don't think essentially it's influence on my life, um, you know, through that lens, but also how it shook up my parents' feelings about wanting stability for me. It's not what they expected, right? How did that challenge them? And so getting to know that about me is really critical because I feel like if you don't understand that about me, then, you know, you're just going to see a list of experiences. You're going to assume that it was just, you know, kid who went to this school did well, but it's not going to give you the full picture. So it's really thinking through, okay, what's really important to you and then sharing it in a compelling way. So if let's say, uh, you know, family is really important to you. Well, what about, what about family? Well, my relationship with my father, because maybe my, my mother wasn't around as much as I wanted. So maybe you take, uh, maybe you, I don't know, describe a story of how, you know, your dad one day, like took you, um, you know, to your baseball game. And what happened at that baseball game? Where'd you guys go to lunch after? Why was that? Why was that important to you? At what time did that, did that happen in your life? And how has that experience and the role model that he was 
how did that allow you to mentor other children in your community who might not have the same support system that others do, right? So, so sharing your personal motivations and, and things like that from seemingly mundane stuff. So that's why when David used the word ordinary, I was like, boy, that's a good word. Because a lot of times students, um, students think like, don't have anything like I look I don't have Tourette syndrome I didn't grow up poor I you know I'm part of an overrepresented group I'm part of this I'm part of that I got nothing well I don't know Danita about you and David about you but I wake up every day thinking I'm the most unremarkable person in the world I, I wake up in my body every day I go through my own routine every day I don't think I'm special most people don't wake up thinking I'm the most special person in the world everybody wants to hear about me right we don't think that way so sometimes we're stuck on well what the heck do I write about right right and so going you know beneath the start asking your friends your parents your relatives hey what do you think of when you think of me what comes to mind because oftentimes what others think of us is very different than what we think about ourselves yes so true. and um, I, I just love asking those questions yeah Okay, I'm 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 out in my wife right now. I'm, I I got this next. Go one. ahead. Thank you, babe. <laughs> I love you. So, um, what is the value of a grade, and what is the value of the types of classes you take? What if you're weighing between taking you know, um, AP courses, pre-AP courses versus general you know academic you know. You know, there's still college preparatory courses. Um, how do you weigh through? Do you go on an all AP track or do you pick and choose? Um, what What is the value in course and the weight, rigor versus quality of grade in those courses? I liked the question you asked last night when we were talking about this. Is what it better to take a general course that you know you can get an A in versus an AP course that you may get a B or a C in? Yep. Question comes up a lot. Um, a in the regular course or B in the AP or honors course, right? That's sort of the um, the summary question there. So the, the short answer is take the more challenging course. Uh, well, the, the, the eye roll answer, which is the real answer, take the hard course and get an A. Um, but let's say it was truly just like that. Just it was truly yeah. Come on, uh, if it was truly that that black and white, you know, I would say, well, take the take the more challenging course and get the B. Um, if it was truly a matter of B in the AP versus A in the regular. Now it's much more complex than that, David. Your question assumes that your school offers a ton of APs. Some schools right. do, some don't. Where right. I went to high school, tenth grade, you can only take one AP. 11th grade, if you maxed out, you could take like two or three. Um, and senior, you could take like two or three. Now I have kids who are taking five a year. Five? And, you know, I'm, and I'm like, you know, um, oh why? Y'all are, y'all are impressive. <laughs> right. So so that's the thing, right? The so different credit. students wow. have different opportunities. And so, and then some some students, you know, have, if they're going to take more challenging stuff, they have to take it through the local college and all this, all these sorts of things. So we have to think about context. Okay, let's say you do go to a top top high school in the country like you know if you're from the greater dc area you go to thomas jefferson high school tj right um, and you take all these courses and you know everyone seems to be great at stem and whatnot and you know students who are taking you know five a year it's sort of like well that's what everybody takes you know but let's say you do get all a's and you do really well in the ap exams and all that kind of stuff well now you're looking like a lot of other impressive kids at your school. So does that actually help you stand out even within your school? Probably not. Right. So, but we like, but when we look at our neighbor and we say, Oh my gosh, Sally's doing this. Uh, Jason's doing that. Uh, I think I need to be doing that. So there's, there's a little bit of that, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, keeping up with the Joneses mentality here, but that comes with a great opportunity cost because if you're going to say, well, I want my shtick, to be that I'm the highest academic achiever, you better be number one. Because if you're like number four in that pile, like you're not gonna you're not gonna be king or queen of that sandbox, right? Right. Mm. And so you have to say, okay, look, all right, I could I could take five, or I could take three of them in you know the humanities because I like those more. And then the time I would have spent, you know, chasing my tail in chemistry. I'm actually going to go develop this incredible community initiative. Hmm. So it really depends on the alternative. So sometimes people are like, well, they don't get, they're not as creative maybe, or they, they're really sucked into that rat race. So they're like, load me up. 
academically because I know that works to a degree. It's comfortable. Mm-hmm. I get a grade at the end of it. I can say I have this. Some, some people find comfort in numbers because how do you quantify the community initiative? Right. No one gives you an A <laughs> when you develop the philanthropic effort with McDonald's. No one says, right. oh, you're in the 98th percentile of you know, reading initiative. No one gives you that. But, right. but when we're chasing you know, benchmarks to say, okay, I think I'm good because I got these stats, extracurriculars are, they're gray. We don't like gray when we're trying to look for assurance in these top programs, that stability, that security we were talking about earlier. You know, and I just want to say as a, as a kind of on a side note, as a teacher of advanced mathematics at the <laughs> middle school level, um, I love y'all parents. Some of your babies have no business being in some of the advanced classes we put them in. You know, like we have to wait through with our, our oldest son, you know, in some courses he's in advanced courses and some of them he's not because we just we saw his natural bent, his natural gifts and abilities. Um, the things that he was strong at and balancing that out with just his life and his schedule. Um, because if you you know want them all in advanced courses, you want them in, you know, other things as well. Um, there is a price to pay. And I've, I've seen that price of, of parents. And, you know, sometimes sometimes parents put kids in advanced courses because it makes them look good. Um, look at my child. My child is in you know, three, four pre-AP courses and all those things. It's not as much as about necessarily about what's best for the child because, trust me, I've seen it. I've seen kids who they really struggle um, where if they were not in my course, um, they would thrive because I'm, I'm going to push my kids harder and I expect more out of, out of my, my kids. Um, so for parents, when you're considering that, look at your child and look and see what is best for them. And is your motivation more driven by what you want for them or is it what's best for them as well? So just kind of someone who's in the mix and I see it um, and we have the, the, the kids every day, you know, who, you know, every year I see it and the kids, you know, they struggle or they feel like they're entitled or the parents feel like they're entitled. And what do you mean? My child, you know, is not doing well. And I said, well, ma'am, this is what the expectations are. And they really end up struggling there. So, um, so as you're weighing through parents, weigh carefully. Um, and you know, especially considering all the uh, things we're talking about today on the show, um, and craft a profile which is best for your child. Um, that's that's going to help them to soar. And you know, there's other ways that you can stand out academically. When I was going through your website, Dr. Shamasian, I noticed something called a capstone project, which I had never heard of before. So I called my friend who is a high school st- senior, uh, high school senior teacher, and she kind of hit me to that. But what is a capstone project? A capstone project is a general term uh, that describes somebody's peak achievement, essentially, in whatever it is that they're doing. So a capstone, let's say there's someone who's a rock star researcher and they've been doing research over the summer for years and all this kind of stuff. And for them, their capstone project might be, you know, uh, leading their independent research project with a university professor that's published in the major journal or something like that. Um, for the student who, this hypothetical student who developed the philanthropic initiatives for, you know, education in, uh, you know, Tuscaloosa, um, you know, helping kids read at a younger age or something like that. Maybe they take that and they say, you know what, this model works. I'm going to work with all the other McDonald's in the state. And we're going to, and then we're going to start this early reading program. And I'm going to le- work with my local, you know, local congressperson. And uh, we're going to make this a, a policy in the, in the state. And we're going to have this new initiative. So those are just two examples to make a point of what it could look like. It's essentially your peak achievement. Some people call it a passion project. Others call it a capstone project. I'm sure there are in, you know, a million other names for it, but, but that's the point. In the case of my friend, she works for a school district where this is actually a, an elective course that you take. It's a, as a junior, you start the research, and mm-hmm. then you continue on in your senior year. So um, in your experience, is this just a, um, a, a personally motivated thing that people embark upon, or how, how do people end up doing these projects? Yeah, so, so this is sometimes a little bit confused with, uh, so the College Board came up with AP Capstone, which is a diploma program where you take, you know, these two different courses, and then you get that. So they've also used the name 
for one of their opportunities. So it doesn't have to be through that. Um, you can do a capstone in anything. It's not a formal thing necessarily, right? That you set out to do in school and got a great, not, not, doesn't have to be like that. Um, and so if you, if you want to stand out at top schools, capstones really, really help. Now, um, sometimes people, you know, call me and they say, oh, we're ending junior year. This is my last uh, summer. We need you to help him do a capstone. I'm like, ma'am, sir, it's not like that. It's not something that you're like, <laughs> tomorrow I, I do a capstone. You know, it's not like that. It's not like taking a three-mile jog, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Real um, quick. So, it, yeah, it's something, it's something that you have to build towards. And usually the really impressive ones, the really, really impressive ones make you ask the question, how the heck did she do that? Mm. And if it gets you to do that, ask that question, you've made it. And so when people say, well, well, build the thing that makes me ask how the heck did, well, how the heck would you do it, right? So it's hard <laughs> to plan out from ninth grade, okay, step by step, this is the end point. It doesn't work that way, you know, for people see, seeking a, a week by week blueprint from the start of ninth grade to the end of 11th grade, you got to be open to the twists and turns and the pivots and, and all that kind of stuff, just like anything else in life. Yeah. Yeah. It occurs to me that when people are applying for schools, they have kind of a first choice, uh, your safety school and some other things like that. And of course, college admissions officers understand that. So yep. if there is a school that I have to get in, or I will mm. die. What do I do to make the college admissions board understand that this is important to me? So that that thinking can be can be dangerous for some people because <laughs> yeah. you know when you're when you're just so set on one school and if you don't get in there you're going to be super disappointed. You don't really get to enjoy the fruit of your labor if you don't get into that place, right? Especially if you're applying early decision, doesn't work out and all this kind of stuff. You're just going to, you're going to be like, well, all of this for naught and all this. And usually students end up in the school that they, that's going to be a great fit for them, whether it was their ED school, their early decision school or elsewhere. Um, but really just, you know, it's not like certain profiles only work for certain schools, right? So the person who you know, develop this pol education policy and, you know, Alabama after years of hard work in that area and all that kind of stuff. Guess what? Um, if they have great grades and essays and stuff, if Har if it's good for Harvard, it's good for Brown, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's not like, help me develop a Dartmouth profile. Well, <laughs> there's no such thing as just a Dartmouth profile because they're looking for a collection of specialists. So it's not one thing. Just be the best in your, in your niche um, and you'll be fine. Well, are there certain things that I can do, like, um, you know, email the, the email somebody or visit the school? What are what are different things that I can say um, do to make them understand that, uh, you know, it's not this isn't just regular to me, even if it's just yeah. you know, I'm trying to get into Rice University in Texas or something. Yeah. So just Rice. Rice is just a great rice. school. It is a great um, school. It was up the school rice. up the street from the school that I went to. <laughs> That's right. So um so if you're looking to get into just rice, I'm teasing, <laughs> of course. Um, so I think, Danita, you're asking a demonstrated interest question. So, yes. so the term demonstrated interest is what it sounds like. How do you demonstrate interest in a way that's going to help colleges see that you're likely to enroll if admitted? Because one of the things that colleges really pride themselves on is yield rate. Uh -huh. uh, in hmm. other words, it's a percentage of students who got accepted who decide to enroll. So the more students you accepted that decide that choose you, the higher your yield rate, which means you're more desirable, right? Um, so that that's what that means. Um, and and so you know schools might limit the number of accepted students, but also if they increase the number of applicants, you know their acceptance rates go down, and they also get more desirable. Their yield rates goes up. They say, "Aha, we are the Louis Vuitton of you know colleges or whatever the case might be." <laughs> so now students are like, "Well, how do I you know how do I show colleges I would enroll if admitted?" Well, the the thing here is you know Stanford knows people want to go there. So the top schools actually care less about demonstrated interest because, yeah, we know you would like. <laughs> Everybody to wants to go there. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, it's like, well, I, you know, I really when I prefer to go to Houston Rockets basketball games, I prefer courtside seats. Well, everyone prefers courtside seats. You know, there's. Um, so it's one of those things where you know you're competing for really desirable stuff. So they don't care as much. So, but the lower you go down the ranking list, the more 
demonstrated interest matters. So definitely sign up for newsletters, you know, get to know your regional admissions officer, if they visit your school or local library to give a talk, keep in touch. Um, because, you know, at, at elite schools, they have local readers, essentially, there might be someone who covers the southeast. And so, you know, they might say, oh, like, you know, I've, I've met this kid, or I know this high school, and yeah, you know, this kid's name sounds familiar. So having that sort of warm handoff with your application is meaningful. Yeah. So when you're looking at schools, and or when you're consulting with families, um, as far as what school is best for my child, um, do you ever, like, say, for example, you know, you have like, as I go to elite schools, and they say, I want to go to Stanford. Um, but maybe for what they want to pursue, Stanford may not be the best school mm. that, like, for, okay, for example, locally, um, a school that graduates a lot of people around here is University of North Texas. I didn't know when I got here that their jazz program yeah. is one of the best in the nation. And you, know, you think of Juilliard schools like that, but I was like, University of North Texas, you know, wow. So, like, when you're when you're helping to direct families, they might say, my child has to get in here. You ever have to say, you know what, that may not be the best school for your child considering what they're looking to get into because there's also, you know, the school general reputation, but also uh, for that major as well um, and for yep. that degree program. So how do you help families and students to come navigate through that? Yeah, I, I like that you brought up jazz. My wife is from New Orleans. She'd be happy to. Oh, okay. You said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you gotta be, so it depends, David, on your level of confidence that you want to pursue X, Y, and Z. Um, so let's say someone's like, look, I've been playing jazz since I was six years old. Um, and I, you know, I'm all about it and university of North, I mean, this is what I want to do. No question. Cool. Now it gets murky if the student who thought they were all in on jazz, all jazz all the time. Well, what if they now change their mind? And they want to go into biology is the mm. school that they end up at good at other things too. Mm -hmm. And, and this isn't a, by the way, I'm not singling out uh, North Texas. I'm not, not right. just to use that example. Right. So like, um, so you gotta be, you gotta ask yourself about your level of certainty about a certain field. And then also think about, well, so what are some of my secondary or tertiary interests? Mm. If I were going to switch, what would I switch into? And how's that school at that? One of the really nice things about attending a prestigious school is, you know, I went to Cornell for undergrad um, and I came in there as a human biology student. I changed my major once. Um, I ended up doing human development, which was sort of like developmental neuropsychology and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if I wanted to switch to business, still great. <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's science. Cornell. Still great. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you, there is that benefit of flexibility there. When you go into schools that are, you know, maybe less name brand are really good at two or three programs, I sure hope you really want to stick with one, one of those two or three programs, right? Um, because if not now, it depends what you switched into. Do you have the same level of flexibility and so on and so forth? And, and every school has some things that, are, you know, that they're good at. Like LSU has a great journalism program, might not be as strong as this other thing. So every school is known for certain things, but great schools are typically great at a lot of things. And, you know, I, I think about that often. And when you said that, I thought the exact same thing that he said that, you know, we're dealing with 17 and 18 year old people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't know what they don't know. And yeah. shoot, people at 40 and 50 are still wondering what they want to do when they grow up. So, you know, specialization isn't necessarily what's good for most kids or a lot of kids. I don't know about most kids, but they might not be ready. Yeah. To specialize. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I've got another question kind of a back and the question sure. on top of that is um does it matter ultimately where you go i mean that, i know i mean the with 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 the rising cost of college and lord have mercy because i looked at you know my alma mater you know i went to university of pittsburgh and when i was there you know it was six grand a year and now in state we're talking about 30 grand a what? year yeah, sure. and out of state is about fifty grand a year for the same degree that I got. Um, you know, and for my majors, um, I was a double econ and business major, and they were both ranked in the top twenty in the country, and so it was a great return on investment um, for the cost 
you know, to, you know, uh, you know, the opportunities it has allowed me to have, it was a great investment. Um, you know, I know there are, there are some families who can afford to, you know, maybe some families that maybe some you're working with that can write that check for, you know, $70,000 a year. Um, but when you, when you graduate, is it, is the return going to be that much more? So for example, I'm in education. If someone does some you for degree in education versus, you know, local school, that's much cheaper. When you come out, you're making the same amount of money, you know? <laughs> so are there certain areas where that return does help or in maybe in, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So loaded, another loaded, I feel like <laughs> most questions in college admissions are loaded questions, right? So, right. Um, so it, you, you hit it on the head, David, where, you know, different families have different means. So some people don't bat an eye, 70 K a year. Cool. Sounds good. Must be nice. To them also, you know, they can get, they can afford it. They can send their kid. No problem to them. It might be worth it for, you know, whether it's a certain, you know, social reason or whatever, or simply they just, it's a good school. They can afford it, whatever. Cool. Um, other families, you know, might not have the same, uh, not have, might not have the same means. And so interestingly, I should point out for listeners, when you see sticker prices of schools, don't, don't get scared and run the other direction right away. So find out what it would actually cost you. Okay. So I went to, when I say I went to Cornell, people assume, oh, you know, must be nice. You can afford it. Actually, my parents are educators too. And, you know, tuition when I went there was 32K and they actually gave me need-based aid for 29K because there's no way I could afford that, right? And I covered the rest with scholarships, graduated without, you know, paid fully, full tuition, all that kind of stuff. So, so don't just see the sticker price and go, oh my gosh, I can't do it. Um, where it gets really tricky is for families where they don't qualify for need-based aid, but they're not super rich, right? And for them, I think this question comes up even more, which is, well, at what point is it worth it? Well, it depends what you're looking to get into. Um, because yeah, let's, if you're going to become a, you know, a middle school, um, English teacher, I don't know that you want to pay, you know, that, that type of money out of pocket, you know, if you're trying to be 60 K or 70 K or all that kind of stuff, you're going to pay it off for deck over decades. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but let's say you're looking to get into, I don't know, really competitive medical schools. Does the undergrad prestige matter? Yeah. I mean, then it matters a little bit more. Um, there's also evidence, David, you know, talking about, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, socioeconomic status and, you know, ethnic backgrounds and all this kind of stuff from an upward mobility standpoint. So if you're, you know, if your family comes from an upper middle to upper class, going to a really fancy school doesn't necessarily put you down a, a better, you know, career path or whatever, because you probably have a strong network, your parents can right. you up basically all this kind of stuff. But then if you came from a family like mine or people who are from real low income backgrounds, that can actually really propel you uh, mm. from a, from a career trajectory standpoint, right? So I think that um, it helps you bridge a good chunk of that gap if you started out, you know, on lower footing from a socioeconomic standpoint. But if you're already here, does it move the needle as much? Not so much, right? So you got to think about, yeah, family background, what's the income, what's the cost for you specifically, what field are you looking to go get into? Um, you know, all of that, all that kind of stuff. So it's a complex question, a good one. So speaking of money, um, gosh, we have a 13 year old now. So we're, we're actually about in that Five stage years. where we're right. We're starting to think about college admissions. And mm -hmm. so on average, how much does it cost to apply to colleges? Because there's all sorts of fees that you can incur. And mm. I was surprised at one number that I saw. It seemed kind of ridiculous. But kind of where am I going to end up spending money to help my kid get into college? Um, mm -hmm. We're not going to be making that donation. So our name's on the side of a building. So you don't have to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even that, even that the price has gotten higher. You know, people mm. ask, well, if I donate one million to Princeton, no. We got to we got to get into the eight figures first. Well, they're tonight, not impressed, you know? huh? <laughs> no, not with not with endowments in the tens of billions. Then you, you know, that's crazy. It's all, it's all relative. That's like writing a hundred dollar um, check to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, more, you know, something like that. Um, so, yeah, you got to think about. So going back to, um, you know, going back to your quest. So so tell me once more, Danita, your question. Sorry, I got a little side. No, just there. all the fees that, that you incur ah. from the college application process yeah i mean so it it depends um how 
how back we go and what we're counting towards that. So for instance, if you're going to pay to play summer programs, you know, all that's in service of college admissions, but let's say we're just isolating it to the applications. I mean, they're going to cost, depending on the number of schools you apply to, um, you know, several hundred to low four figures, typically um, same thing when you register for these tests. Now, a lot of, um, you know, the, the college board, they offer a lot of fee waivers. So if you're, if you meet us, if you're below a certain income threshold, then you can apply for, you know, no or low cost. Um, and so it, it just really depends. But the, the cost of the applications themselves for most families, they're doable, especially with the fee assistance programs. It's all the stuff around it, right? That, you know, the programs you enroll your kids in, the mm. test prep, the application support and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and obviously I, you know, I, I help students in that way. So I, I know that I can get into the thousands of dollars very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the admissions test fees as well. And apparently yep. you have to pay for the test if you also add an essay because it's optional. Is that? They're changing things all the time. Oh, and then okay. now they're getting rid of the, you know, or de-emphasizing and getting rid of essays. Subject tests are going away. Again, we're at a we're at a major turning point. Uh, sometimes people tell me like, what's going to happen this fall? I can't even tell you what's going to happen definitively this fall, let alone next year. Mm, absolutely. So that leads to another question of, you know, we're seeing more and more and more schools making the SATs and ACTs optional. Mm-hmm. Are they still important? Do you do, I mean, what what is the advantage of taking the test versus saying, you know, what, I'm not going to take the test or writing the essay for the for one of those tests versus not writing the essay for those tests? Like, how do you help families help maneuver? Because a lot, and even some of the, some of the elite schools are getting, you know, like one of the first ones I saw a couple of years ago was University of Chicago. So they're, they're getting away from right. And that, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. So how do you help families to maneuver through whether to even take it or not? And is it going to be advantageous to them? Yeah, it depends on how you do and what context you're in. You know, so if you're going to if you're going to a school, you know, where you've got, you know, going back to that TJ high school outside D.C. Right. So if all these kids are scoring fifteen hundred plus <sighs> and your score is thirteen eighty, maybe don't submit, you know. <laughs> wow. Uh, so it depends. So it depends where you are. Um, you know, what, what your context is, what everybody else in your, you know, in your environment is doing and stuff like that. But, but I think at the end of the day, guys, the, the takeaway point, one of the main takeaway points from this conversation should be play to your strengths. Yeah. So the question of how many APs, well, I don't know, what are you stronger weaken? What's the opportunity cost? If you do that thing, you're not as good in, you might struggle to get a three or four, but you could have used that for an awesome extracurricular project. Right. Um, and then same thing with the SAT, ACT, how much uh, time is prep going to take? Does that play to your strengths? If you have maybe some learning disability where you're not as strong as that, even with, you know, accommodations, well, well, maybe you don't do it. So it's, um, you know, you're not a natural test taker and you can't afford prep. So maybe don't do it. Right. So there are all these questions mm-hmm. on an individual basis. We have to ask so many options that weren't available to us then. Right. Yeah. Cause I, mm-hmm. I show wouldn't have taken the SAT, <laughs> if I had that option. Yeah, and if I would have, you know, I ended up doing, you know, you know, pretty decently. But once I became a coach for SATs, I'm like, nobody told me this yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, I I had the College Board book in myself, and that was pretty much it. And uh, you know, I wish I would have had someone to help me with this. And mm-hmm. um, you know, if I would have known then what I know now when I'm coaching kids, you know, um, you know, I would have done even better. But you know, yep. it, but it's a uh, you know, um, another episode. Yeah, there is another episode. We'll have to mm-hmm. save for another time. Yeah, for sure. Um, are there mm-hmm. any? We're gonna, we're going to ask you for your your website in a minute here. But are there any resources that you um, think that parents should take advantage of? I mean, so many. I mean, it depends on what you're seeking, right? So <laughs> I had a feeling you're uh, going to say you know, that. For, <laughs> yeah, right. So for you know, obviously for um, you know test prep, I would defer to David, of course. Um, you know, but official dog and education dot com. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But on the on the admissions uh, on the admission side, I would say um, practice reading and writing um, mm, early yeah. on uh, because I, I want to like math. You can more quickly teach someone, but strong writing is something that takes a That's lot of art. practice. Mm. Uh, reading comprehension is something that takes a lot of practice. So read, write. Um, I get a lot of students who are like, "Yeah, I'm just not as good as like at the humanity." Well, you're still going to have to write. You're still going to have to brainstorm and yeah. get creative and all that kind of stuff. So, 
um, it, my, it's not like, oh, you know, go to our site. Yeah, yes, our site does have great resources. I'll put in a plug. Yeah, all that. But at the end of the day, there's no substitute for developing a strong reading and writing foundation. I think that's huge. I, I help people get into medical school, all that kind of stuff. I see a lot of students who never developed that and they struggle with these mm-hmm. admissions processes and in school when they have to write. So that's one of my big uh, pieces of advice there. That's so good. And what is your website? Uh, shamasianconsulting.com. Uh, so Shamasian, I'm sure you'll put in the show notes, but it's S-H-E-M-M-A-S-S-I-A-N. Yeah, they will be in the show notes and as well as on our website. And there are also multiple um, episodes of School Days about becoming strong readers and strong writers mm-hmm. and, and things like that that you can go back to. Yep. But I mean, as I said at the beginning of this episode, this could be multiple episodes. Mm. So maybe we'll just have to have you back. But we are at a time. Pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was very, very helpful information. This was a treat. Thank you, Danita. Thank you, David. Yeah. Welcome. And so for additional resources, check out School Day's episodes, the one about career readiness and the one about scholarships and the one about your freshman year in college. So Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Days, so we always want to let you know what's going on with Noggin. We're currently taking applications for two of our programs. Noggin offers 12 free hours of private tutoring to students through our educational coaching program. Also through our ARD advocacy program, parents receive support in securing services and accommodations their kids need at school for learning disabilities or special needs. With the closure of schools and distance learning, the education gap for low-income students has widened, and the one-on-one intervention we provide is vital. So see our website, nogginfoundation.org, or you can email me at danita at nogginfoundation.org. That's D-O-N-E-D-A, and you can get more details. So we are working on some great shows for the summer. I'm really excited about that. Make sure you subscribe to School Days to help for moms and dads of school-aged kids on any podcast platform so that you don't miss any of our new episodes. And as always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com for more information about all that we're doing and for the resources that are mentioned on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Audible, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email me at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.